This is Soundmaking, a podcast made by Hogan Stenner and myself, Matthew Shlomovitz. Each episode of Soundmaking features a composer or performer discussing the how and why of music they've created. For our December 2021 Christmas special edition, in fact our 50th episode so far, Soundmaking goes meta and makes a podcast about a podcast that installation, sound and performance artist David Helbisch made for the Performing Arts Department of the Sehalves Museum in Porto in May 2021. For our episode, David also added a previously unreleased second part. David talks about how the podcast is about the music he remembers from his childhood, about sounds in large reverberant spaces, like cathedrals, how he thinks sound is a beautiful metaphor for the death of beloved ones, and how the inclusion of some old cassette recordings found after his late father turned the making of the podcast into a process of grief. So with this, we bring you David Helbig's Echo Ovations Part 1 and 2, some spaced out thoughts and memories about acoustic impressions. My name is David Helbig. I live in Brussels for almost 20 years. I'm born in Berlin, school in Bremen, studies in Amsterdam and Freiburg. I'm a trained composer, but I'm pretty much on a detour in my artistic practice. I'm a conceptual visual artist as much as a performance and sound artist. After having started as a score-based composer, I added many other forms to my performative and conceptual practice, working with and about sound next to concepts about physical and social choreographies. I write a lot of scores directly for the audience, sets of instructions that can come in various forms, in printed scorebooks and performances, illustrations, videos, audio guides uh, and more. Meanwhile, uh, let's say maybe for four years now, I found also back my way into music, music, electronic improvisation, noise, techno, and all these kind of things. My midlife crisis project, I would say. For the past 15 years, my composing focused on the act of listening itself and the impact of audio on our bodies and on how we situate our bodies in spaces, architectural and also social spaces. The first part of the podcast we were listening to I made for the Seralvish Museum in Porto after request from curator Petro Rocha, who asked uh, contributions from a series of artists they had worked with during the first year of the pandemic. I took the opportunity to realize something I wanted to do for a long time, namely bringing together my personal listening biography from childhood to now with my recent works with spaces and audiences. In this podcast, I focus on the image that sound travels through spaces, touches walls and other objects before reaching us, our ears, carrying all this collected information of its journey, kind of telling us about it. Sound is beautifully contaminated, you could say. This was also a way to finally use this entire plastic bag uh, of recordings on cassette tapes of my father's concerts that I had found in his studio after his passing eight years ago. He was a conductor specialized in voice and choir music, which uh, no doubt had a, a huge impact on my relationship to sound. To make a long story short, this podcast is also part of my ongoing process of grief. I think sound is a beautiful metaphor for death, actually, for the death of beloved ones. Both disappear after they have touched us. 
part two I had not published earlier. In fact, I had cut it out at the time, thinking I would make this into a series at one point. Who knows? And maybe this is a beginning of that series. So part two is a short collection of samples of how this celebration of disappearing sounds, these echo ovations are happening in some of my recent works. A little Christmas present, so to say. With this, I wish you all a great holiday. Stay fine, safe, drunk and happy. Greetings to your families. Enjoy this podcast. Enjoy the sounds in it, but also the sounds around you. And hopefully meet you next year. Echo Ovations Some spaced out thoughts and memories about acoustic impressions. Echoes come towards you, reverbs are disappearing. An echo is something that comes back to you, a reverb is something that leaves you. This is not exactly right in an acoustic sense, but I feel it that way. This groovy clap solo, or duo if you count the natural sound effect as my partner, this musicalized clap duo I recorded in the entrance pass of Schalvers Museum in Porto. A 25 meter long tunnel-like path with one side open. I always loved echoes. Everyone loves echoes. Echoes are easy to love. But reverbs? Yes, a reverb is a more complex thing to embrace. As a kid, long reverbs frightened me. Maybe because they describe spaces by traveling them in a speed that we can follow as being a speed, as being a journey. And with following, we copy the spaces into our imagination. We let the space fill us from within. And that's just too big for a young child. Did you hear this reverb? Or only the questionable recording quality? Here I'm sitting in the back of a huge choir between other singers in a large and long space at the Cathedral of Bremen in the general rehearsal of the Requiem by Verdi. And I'm secretly filming with a pretty bad digital compact camera while singing. Great, though, that these machines didn't have a proper compressor at the time. Bad for the volume peak, good for the reverb. My father was a musician, a conductor of choirs and orchestras. For 32 years, he was also the cantor of the pretty large Bremen Cathedral in North Germany. The cathedral has a reverb of 8.5 seconds in the main hall. The century-old concept of the building wanted no obstacles and as little interruptions as possible, so it was a space of free traveling for waves and spirits. Such a situation has consequences for music making, 
not only will the music never stop abruptly, it will also never be alone, in itself, at the moment. It always mingles with what just had been. Not like a cannon, that would be an echo, but more like the waves around a swimmer. As a child, I was sitting many of my evenings next to the choir and the orchestra on the gallery, sometimes for hours, entire Matthew passions, looking at the musicians, the mouth of the choir and my father's expressions, how he would bend the sound with his arms, always a fraction earlier than it happened. And then my gaze shifted to the hall, to the hundreds, sometimes thousands of people sitting down there on uncomfortable wooden benches, with huge chandeliers hanging over them on many meter long cords. Were the chandeliers moving? Shaken by the crescendo or the old tram outside of the church that you could hear through everything from metaphor to down? And then it happened. It always happened. The largeness of the space revealed itself to me, reached out to me just by the air in between me and the hanging chandeliers, up the cords to the ceiling and down another cord to the next chandelier. The social event started to fade from my presence and I could only experience the emptiness of the enormous space in between. This feeling always climaxed in an inner image of me suddenly finding myself hanging on one of these chandeliers in the middle of the night in total darkness without any idea how I got here or any plan how to get off this thing. I'm very certain that the intensity of this image was provoked by sound and especially by reverb. By 8.5 seconds of sound traveling through a space, searching for each corner and behind each pillar before coming back to me telling me about all its findings. I saw the air moving with my ears and it frightened me, invisible but present as it was. It still does, but with age and loss I started to love this fear as it emphasizes that memory is not only a thing of the mind. In 2005, my father's and my practice met for one time. He invited me and an ensemble of friends to play a contemporary concert in the cathedral during a Bach festival that he was organizing. For the occasion, I wrote a piece for the plus-minus ensemble and the building. I knew it so well that I could anticipate the silences almost better than the sounds. 
And so I wrote Lauthalt, a piece that played through 17 long minutes again and again with a transition between sound, its reverb and the next sound. A fetish piece almost. How long can you hear what had just happened? How long can you hear what leaves you? When do you start having expectations? Listening to reverbs, especially long ones, confronts you with the fact that you cannot grasp a specific moment of where it stops. It fades. There is no attack in a reversed sense, not really. The space doesn't stop being a space, as much as there is no pre-echo, no pre-reverb. Not really. Unless, of course, you are dealing with old cassette tapes from a plastic bag of your dad. I found these after his passing eight years ago. A plastic bag full of unpublished recordings of concerts he conducted over the period of 30 years. I will play a number of endings from pieces like Mozart's Requiem, Verdi's Requiem, The John's Passion by Bach and others. I will also play you the beginnings after the endings. Both endings and beginnings embrace and confirm what happens in between them. What you hear is a fascinating combination of the reverb that spreads in the church and the beauty of a technical mistake that you find in many old cassette tapes. A kind of pre-echo just before the louder section and after a silence, as if you can hear into the future. The explanation for this phenomena is a print-through of information from one part of tape to the part that is rolled up just under. Considered as undesirable in most cases, it here helps me making my point that in reverby spaces, once you lost certainty about when events are done happening, you might get uncertain as well about when they start. And as much as the acoustic situation in which you are listening to this feature right now is also adding a layer to the sound experience and therefore musical experience, the tape is layered already, playing back a room reverb, most probably a compression from the sound technician, etc. And meanwhile, even an imprint of the age of the tape itself, with traces of where it was stored and how often it was played back. You hear seconds and years in a beautiful two-voiced canon. You hear age, but now...
Part 2 of Echo Ovations, Some Spaced Out Thoughts and Memories About Acoustic Impressions. Here a recording from 2016 of 14 performers slamming the doors of the Autokerk, the Old Church of Amsterdam, while the audience is walking a series of social choreographies. For this performance I asked the performers to slam the doors in some formations, like circles, echoes and mirrors. This spatial aspect the stereo recording cannot capture. Still you can hear distances and different parts of long reverb tails. Let's talk about space for a second. There's space in your head. There's space under your head, in your body, and there's space around this body. The space around is interrupted constantly again and again, by walls, by floors and ceilings, by objects and beings. The space beyond walls and windows is interrupted by entire buildings, other walls, by cars, dogs, trees and the stars. The interruptions are reflecting and absorbing when sound hits them. What you hear are the leftovers. What you hear is the rest of what the interruptions are ready to pass through. This is how they leave traces. This is how they shout back. In this fragment you hear Lilia Mestre, Michael Schmidt and me and occasionally audience members shouting through the former Citroën building in Brussels. 
We are performing the intervention shouting for Canal Centre Pompidou that is running the space nowadays. Each one of us is standing on a different floor. The floors are huge and not connected to the walls. That's how you can hear all of us since the sound can travel along the walls up and down the building like an acoustic elevator. The Elephant in Space, about cars and the relief of the city. Everyone who has ever searched for silence, everyone who had ever closed a window, everyone who had ever smoked a cigarette on a countryside house terrace, everyone who ever had to record their speech, every field recorder, collectors of sounds, or actually everyone who has ever made a phone call in public space knows, there are always cars. You hear them kilometers far over fields and through forests. You hear them from all sides, scattered by urban features. You hear them roaring directly into your ear. You hear them hissing in the far. You hear them in singular attacks revving up engines. You hear them in collective waves, emphasizing the never-ending repetitions of stoplights. You hear them in constant presence as fluctuating streams. Cars are the number one player in our acoustic environment. But you don't actually hear cars. You hear the relief of the city. You hear shapes and topography of the land, the walls of this room, the form of your ears. Once sound waves reach your ears, they have already bounced against many obstacles, walls, roofs, streets, even people and their dogs. They got delayed, distorted, transformed, they got diminished, absorbed, but also echoed, overlapped, and sometimes doubled up, all to impress you. Sound sensations actually tell as much about their source as they tell you about the path that they have taken. Sound sensations tell as much about the car's motor as they tell about the air and its interruptions, all the surfaces, the textures, the forms, the spaces, and the open sky. Every day you walk through a forest of reflections. Let's walk together through a forest of reflections and hear the shape of spaces. Take a deep breath and pay attention to the idea of sound as being mostly reflections. 